Welcome to another show, another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Joined by Lance Menno, I am John Schmunk. It's all presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Appreciate you being with us today. The phone number is 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. The Giants coming off a bye week, so not your normal game reaction analysis Monday show here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, but we figured this would be a good time to kind of take a little step back, look at what's happened the first 10 games of the year, and then look ahead a little bit um, as what the Giants have in their final six games and what they need to improve on, do differently, and do better. Before we get started, Lance, I want to remind people that if you subscribe to the Giants audio podcast, Please note that beginning on December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live will have its own dedicated podcast channel. You can be in subscribing now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. Again, starting December 1st, Big Blue, Gli- Big Blue Kickoff Live will no longer be available in the Giants Audio Podcast. Instead, it'll be on its own podcast feed. So please subscribe to the Big Blue Kickoff Live podcast feed on all your favorite podcast platforms. You can still listen or watch on Giants.com or the Giants mobile app every day live at 1.30. Okay, so Lance. That, I'm that's, glad we got through that, by yes, the way. Yes, we did. Whew, what a relief. Whew. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's okay. Yes. okay. All right, um, if you go to Giants.com, folks, I did a fairly detailed two-part film study of the Giants in the first 10 games of the year. I kind of took the model of what I do each week for the Giants' opponents, and I said, you know what? It's the bye week. This is supposed to be the big self-scout week, right? So I might as well try to take a look inside a little bit at what the Giants are doing on their own terms over the first couple, um, first 10 games of the year. So, Lance, what I kind of came up with looking at this, do you want me to start offense or defense? Do you want me to go first? Let's start offense. Let's start offense. So, the offense has been pretty productive. Uh, Golden Tate has had a really great first six games. If you extrapolate those six games over a 16-game season, he's like 85 catches, almost 1,200 yards. He's had a great six games with the Giants. Uh, Darius Slayton has come on pretty strong. The offensive line played better at the start of the year. The last few games, they've had trouble with a lot of blitzes and movement up front, stunts, twists, delayed blitzes, you know, those sorts of things. Daniel Jones, for the most part, he's shown he has good enough arm. He's accurate enough. Uh, there are things that he could do a little bit better. He, you know, he gets sacked a lot, but some of those sacks are because he holds the ball a little bit too long despite the defensive line breakdowns. One thing that he struggled at, and I will bring this up, is I think this was probably, of all the things I found, the most interesting thing that I found about Daniel Jones, and I was surprised to see the number, is that he has struggled throwing down the field this year. On passes that travel 20 or more yards in the air, Lance, Jones is just 5 of 31 for 200 yards, 201 yards, four touchdowns, two picks. And outside the numbers, it's even worse. It's something like 3 for 30-something outside the numbers on 20 or more yards. So that was surprising, and I think those will make his overall numbers better. But I think for a rookie, you have to be pretty happy with his ability to scan the field, find the right player, get the ball out, but protecting the football obviously is a huge deal, and 
getting the ball to the out at the, on, on time is also a huge deal. Well, which contributes to ball security issues, to your point, John. They're because, all linked, correct. Yeah, when you hold on to the football, you're now going to put yourself in a precarious spot where you can be stripped and lose the football or panic, throw the ball into coverage that leads to an interception. But, yeah, to your point, a number of positive flashes. Remember, you're talking about over his eight starts, you had the comeback victory against Tampa Bay, which is his first career start. That was certainly impressive. The mobility factor that we've seen, his ability to run with the football to pick up first downs, extend plays. Two of the last three games, he's thrown for over 300 yards and four touchdowns. So, you know, that's a sign of consistency. To me, my biggest takeaway of Daniel Jones, and I thought those numbers with the deep ball are very interesting and I think provide some insight, is Ball security, decision-making, you want to see that start trending in the right direction, John. It's not a matter of Daniel Jones can't commit a turnover in the final six games, okay? Let's not be ridiculous. But what does the turnover look like? Exactly. What are the circumstances? Was it because of, listen, somebody came from his blind side, he couldn't do anything, which also, by the way, contributed to some of his turnovers. Or, or if, you know, if a guy's in the throwing motion and the guy gets exactly. a hand on it, you know, that happens to all quarterbacks. Versus where you're panicking at the last second or you're holding on to the football a little bit too long and you're giving the defense an opportunity to make an opportunistic play. Or if you see the rush coming and you don't protect the ball well and often it gets stripped away. Exactly. Or you're running for the first down too and you don't protect the football, Correct. which has happened at times as well. So those are the types of things you want to see cleaned up because he can control that. He can't control if there's a breakdown with respect to the offensive line and all of a sudden you're in the throwing motion. You lose the ball. Hey, I mean, that's life in the National Football League. Or, for example, one of the turnovers, remember, John, charged to Daniel Jones in the first few starts of his career is the one when he threw the ball away. It looked like an incomplete pass. Saquon Barkley didn't go for it, and Devon Kennard returned it for a fumble. It's hard for me to blame Daniel Jones under those circumstances. Correct. I mean, that's one of those things. Okay, hey, you got to be more aware as a player around the quarterback. Go for a live ball regardless of whether the whistle was blown or not, because you never know what replay is going to rule. And that's one of those teachable moments for Saquon Barkley. He even took full responsibility for that. But, you know, that's an example of every turnover has its own story. And that's a phrase, John, that we used when Eli Manning was the starting quarterback. I don't remember which season it was, but there was a year where Manning had, I want to say, what do you have, 20-some-odd interceptions, or maybe I'm going too high, or it was very high in the teens. There was a year where it was above and beyond what Eli Manning typically finishes with, and how many of those, there was at least seven or eight interceptions, John, that went off of wide receivers' fingertips or hands that season, Tip right? Balls, yep. And then we talked about, I remember that the phrase we used all that season was, every turnover has its own and story. And that was a story that Eli Manning and Ben McAdoo, I, I think McAdoo is the head coach, um, used that year too. You're 100% right. Um, I did go inside the numbers, Lance, on some of the pressure. You know, pro football focus tracks how long it takes for a quarterback to get the ball out, you know, when he gets hit, when he gets pressured. So these are a couple interesting things uh, that, I, that I came up with. Uh, Jones, on average, is in the pocket for 2.85 seconds per pass play, okay? Of quarterbacks with 100 or more attempts, so I tried to take out all the guys with a real small sample yeah. size. Had to start a few games. Only 20, or I should say 25, are in the pocket less time per play than Jones. So that, that shows that lot, yeah. he's holding the ball a little bit. I think there were probably about 40 qualifying quarterbacks, give or take, um, at 100 pass attempts. And another interesting thing to build on top of that, okay? He's only been sacked four times on plays where he's held the ball less than two and a half seconds. 
which goes back to the timing issue. So it shows you the longer he holds it, the better a chance he has of getting sacked. And he's only held the ball less than two and a half seconds on 43% of his dropbacks, which is the eighth lowest percentage of those qualifying quarterbacks. So try to get the ball out a little bit quicker. will help cut down on some of the sacks and also some of the subsequent fumbles. Yeah, and that's why there's been a trend and a movement towards quarterbacks getting rid of the football so quickly. Why do you think Tom Brady is so effective in doing that? And Drew Brees, same thing. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. they know, listen, when you've got issues on the offensive line, when you've got really good pass rushers you're going up against, just get rid of the football and take the three or four yards and move in a positive direction for a manageable second or a third down. So, you know, those numbers to me don't just say a lot about Daniel Jones, John. It says a lot about the trend in the league across the board. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most quarterbacks, especially the good veterans who have had a lot of experience, they realize time is of the essence. Get rid of the football. Be very quick and spontaneous with your decision-making. And if worst-case scenario, throw it away and live to see another down. Uh, One other thing I looked at in terms of his turnovers, and I'll get to that a little bit more in more detail in a second. Uh, pro football fo- focus tracks turnover-worthy plays, right? So it's not just plays you actually commit a turnover, plays that there could be a turnover, a fumble, a dropped interception, things like that, right? So Jones is 22 this year, which is second most in the league. And the interesting to me in terms of his interceptions, only four of his eight interceptions have come when he's been under pressure. So four have been on unpressured snaps. Almost 25% of Jones's passing attempts this year have been into windows, which pro football focus considers tight windows, small areas to squeeze the ball in. Well, guess what? Seven of his eight interceptions have come on tight window throws. So to me, his interceptions are more a product of him trying to be maybe too aggressive than necessarily is coming from being under pressure. And I think that shows much like maybe him holding the ball a little bit too much, maybe sometimes tries to get the ball into too small of areas sometimes when maybe the space isn't there. And again, these are issues all rookie quarterbacks have, and they're very correctable. But I think when you dive inside the numbers, these are some interesting things that you find that maybe he can improve on a little bit in the final six games. Well, and I think two of them are related in terms of holding on to the football too long and then throwing into tight windows because you can argue, John, Maybe sometimes the philosophy from Daniel Jones's perspective is, I want to try to get it down the field, so I'm going to wait a bit, a bit longer for a play to develop, and then all of a sudden you're giving the defense an opportunity to regroup, right. and the window becomes tighter, and at the same time, you're giving the opposing pass rush an opportunity to take you down. So it's really a matter of him learning to walk the fine line or just settle for the underneath. And once again, get some positive yardage and then look for the home run a little bit later on as the drive develops. And maybe that also goes to his percentage on deep passes isn't as high because he's trying to throw those into windows or maybe they're not there. Yeah. So another thing to keep in mind. Uh, Final thing, and I'll use this transition uh, to offense to defense, Lance. Uh, If you really want to batten down the hatches here and give one overarching reason why the Giants are only 2-8, and it's turnovers. No, without a doubt. It is... It's easy to say that, but it's easy to say that for a reason. Uh, These are stats, by the way, not accurate for this weekend. This is just going by rankings heading into the bye. Giants are minus 11. Only one team was worse. And here are some numbers for you, folks. This year... Well, they're minus 12, actually. Are they minus 12? Yeah, they're minus 12 because 24 turnovers and 12 takeaways. I'm sorry. The Giants are tied for less than minus 12. The Bengals are minus 11. They're 0-9. So I, 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 I read off the wrong column. But here's the numbers. In this season, when teams are minus three or worse in the turnover ratio, 
they're three and twenty-four. When teams are minus two or worse, they're three and thirty. When teams are minus one, they're twenty, thirty-four and one. And when teams are even, they're thirty-three and thirty-three. And notice the record goes in the opposite well, direction. And hold on a second. Let's see. Because it actually lines up perfectly with how the Giants have done in these situations. The Giants have been even in turnover ratio in two games this year. They're one and one in those games. They've been minus one in a game. They actually won that one. They've been plus one in a game. They lost that one. So those two kind of even out a little bit, right? Closer to 500. But lo and behold, in games they're minus two or minus three and worse, guess what their record is? They are 0 and 5. Yeah. And it's obviously, as Lance said, every turnover has its own story. So just say fix the turnovers. That doesn't solve the problem because there's different issues in each one. But until they get that figured out, all the other stuff we're going to talk about on defense really isn't as important as it should be because the Giants are not in a situation here, Lance, where they're good enough to take advantage or make up for, I should say, all those turnovers. They just aren't good enough to do it right now. Yeah, and especially digging yourself in an early hole as a result of the turnovers, John. That's been the real Achilles heel. Uh, The last few games, with the exception of the Dallas game, they have faced a double-digit deficit before they even scored a point. And a lot of that, to me, is because of a turnover early on in the game, and the opposition capitalizes off of what, to your point, the Giants have not been able to do. Teams have four defensive touchdowns off those turnovers, and overall, teams have 78 points off Giants' turnovers this year. Yeah, I mean, that tells a huge story. So, to me, you have to tell the story of not only are the Giants not protecting the football, but also they're presenting golden opportunities for the opposition to put points on the board as a result of those turnovers. And remember, you mentioned the four defensive scores. There was also a special team score in the Patriots game. That was the fifth So one, yep. that's five non-offensive scores from the opposition this season. And just to put things in perspective, last season they gave up two of those kind. So they've already more than doubled that, and we still have six games to go. And we talked about how last year the Bears were off the charts in that area. I think they had seven or eight. Well, the Giants are on pace to give up that many this year. Hard to overcome that. And just in terms of the defense, and I guess I'll use this as a good way to transition, the Giants have 12 takeaways. Is that a great number? No. But it's pretty much right in the middle of the league. So that's not something that is necessarily holding them back. Could it be better? Absolutely. But if you look at that compared to where you are in terms of your giveaways, it certainly isn't as much of a problem as it is on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, the other thing that I didn't notice, and I don't know if you calculated this number, how many points have been scored off of the 12 takeaways? That would be something that I didn't have an opportunity to How many to points the, the Giants have scored yes, off those off takeaways? off those 12 takeaways. Let's see because, if I can find that Because that, to me, John, is also a telling number. And I agree with you. Teens and takeaways is fine. You're okay with being in the middle of the pack. But I always say this. Takeaways are great. Tell me what you do with them. It's the same thing with time of possession and my thought process with that. We field call after call every single week. They got to win time of possession. They've got to wear down the opposing defense. They got to milk the clock. Okay, well, what do you do with time of possession, John? Do you drive down the field and do you settle for a field goal? Or do you drive down the field and you punch it in and score a touchdown? More often than not, they've drove down the field and they've settled for a field goal. So time of possession and takeaways to me are equivalent. What have you done with it, not just winning the battle? Do you want to know? Let's hear it. Take a guess. How many points have the Giants scored off takeaways this year? Take a guess. I want to say, I mean, have they even scored 21 points? 13. I was going to try to say maybe three takeaways, touchdowns. Worth. You get three scores. 
That's a 25% rate there. Yeah. That's brutal. See, that has to be told with the 12 takeaways. Because to me, 12 takeaways doesn't tell the whole story. And also, yeah. it's also dependent on where the takeaways happen too, right? Like if you're taking the ball away in your red zone, yeah, you take points off the board for the opposition, but you're not necessarily scoring. But if you're not taking the ball away in the other team's territory, then you're not necessarily giving your offense a shorter field. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing off the top of my head, because I have a list, obviously, of all the turnovers and the takeaways. Case in point, in the game against the Bucks, the one takeaway was the Connolly interception. And unfortunately, you know, he was then lost for the season. If memory serves me correct, two plays after the Connolly interception, Daniel Jones gave up the football. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the Giants have gained decent field position, John, and then they've coughed up the football themselves, which is an absolute killer. Yeah, and it goes to their average starting field position. It's 25th in the league, the 27-yard line. So that's not ideal. I mean, it's not horrible because a lot of those are off kickoffs and, you know, that's that's not as important anymore with everyone taking so many touchbacks so it's not as relevant as, yeah. as it is in seasons past, but it does reflect if a team's getting the ball on the other side of the field a lot more that number's going to look a lot better. Alright, as for the defense, anything else on offense you want to add before we jump? Well, the last thing I just wanted yeah, go to ahead. say to put a bow on the whole turnover conversation, the Giants have yet to have a clean game, John. Okay, yep. They have not had one game without any turnovers. And Daniel Jones has at least one turnover in every single one of his starts. So those are two trends also you want to see somewhat head in the right direction in the final six games. Just for the record, folks, the Giants have been even in two games. They were plus one in another, minus one in another, minus two in three in four games, and then minus three in one game. So that's where they are in terms of their uh, turnover ratio. The only game they were plus one in was Detroit, and they still managed to lose because that contest. Detroit scored a defensive touchdown. To me, that sort of canceled that out. Yeah, it did. 100%. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. I'll remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Boy, uh, and Lance, I don't know where to go with this, but in this league these days, if you have trouble stopping the pass, you're going to have trouble winning games. And the Giants allow the second most yards per pass play in football. They are near the top of the league in terms of big plays. I'll get those specifics for you in a moment. It's 8.27, by the way, yards per pass play. Only two teams have allowed more than the 40 pass plays of 20 yards or more than the Giants. The Giants have allowed 12 pass plays of 40 or more yards. Nobody has given up more than that. 20% of opponents' passes have gone for 15 or more yards, which is the second highest rate in the league. And you put all those things together, you got trouble. Explosive plays have been the Achilles heel of this defense, John. Uh, the turnovers has been the Achilles heel of the offense, you could argue. And the defense is the inability to stop the explosive plays. And I'll take your statistic a step further by saying a number of those 40-plus yard pass plays have resulted in touchdowns, okay? Well, yeah. Well, I, and not granted, maybe that's somewhat stating the obvious. <laughs> no, but the truth is, you start a drive at the 10, you give up a 40-yard play. Okay, True. it doesn't necessarily result in a touchdown, but the Lions game, two 40-plus-yard touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Dallas, two 40-plus-yard touchdowns. Blake Jarwin and Amari Cooper. It's becoming a trend. You know, you can't average giving up about you know two 40-plus-yard pass plays every game and it resulting in TDs. You're putting that much more pressure on your offense to be absolutely perfect and we know that that's extremely impossible to achieve because of the turnover bug 
Yeah, and then if you look at the pass pressure, which obviously also affects pass defense, Lance. Giants have 24 sacks, again, tied for 15th. Again, I'm stressing all these stats, guys, are prior to the bye week. They were all written before this Sunday's game. So the numbers probably have shifted a few spots here or there, especially since, in terms of total numbers, rates will probably be about the same. But the Giants, for example, have given up more 20-plus-yard pass plays than a lot of other teams, partially because the Giants played one more game than a lot of other yeah, teams. Yeah, you have so, to take that into consideration. Correct. That, yeah. that is part of this. But So 24 sacks heading into the week, tied for 15th. But... They've only pressured opposing quarterbacks on 32% of dropbacks, which is the sixth lowest rate in the league. I think we had talked about this on a prior show, Lance. So they just have not been able to get pressure um, on quarterbacks. And since week four, or is it week three? No, since week four, they're only blitzing on 27% on pass plays. And the reason, when they blitz, opposing quarterbacks are 65 of 93 for 934 yards and four touchdowns. So... Blitzing hasn't helped, and when they have blitzed, it's actually gotten worse. Yeah. Well, another thing, just as comparison and perspective on the sack department, you mentioned they have 24 sacks right now through 10 games. At this time last year, John, when we had this conversation, and the bye week was slightly different, but I just calculated the first 10 games, the Giants had 11 sacks. 11. They had 11 sacks through the first 10 games last season. They had an unbelievable surge in the final six games. That's why they actually got to 30. But they've got 24 this year in the first 10 games. So they've doubled their total from last year after 10 games. So that shows somewhat of a sign of progress, if you want to take the comparison between 2018 and 2019. But let's see also whether or not that's going to continue to improve, or is it going to tail off? That's something I think that's interesting to monitor here. As we've talked about, they've only played man-to-man defense on 30% of their snaps, which is not a surprise. They've played more zone. They've been better when they've played zone over the course of the year. Though they did play man and blitz a lot more against the Jets than they had uh, previously. In terms of overall numbers and, and things I've seen, that those are my biggest takeaways on the defensive side of the ball. Anything else you want to add there, Lance? Well, A product of giving up the big pass plays is the fact that a number of opposing wide receivers have gone over the century mark. Now, maybe that's more of a fantasy, noteworthy statistic than a realistic statistic, but you're talking about one, two, three, four, six different opposing players have had over 100 receiving yards against the Giants this season, and five different opposing running backs have gone over the century mark on the ground. Now, you know, those numbers are up there for 10 games. That means half of the opposing running backs have run for over 100 yards, and more than half of the opposing wide receivers have over 100 yards, you know, when you look at these numbers. So, you know, that's something that has to, I think, change in the second half of the season if they want to be competitive and they want to find a way to close out games. That's got to change. And you know what? I stand corrected. I I just was actually looking at the 2018 numbers, so let me be accurate. In terms of the wide receivers, that was still six, so that's accurate. Running backs, it was just three, not five. Five was the total for last year. They're just at three this year, and that was Dalvin Cook, Chase Edmonds, and Ezekiel Elliott. Want to take some calls? Absolutely. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat. Mike in Jersey will lead us off to begin the show. Mike, what's going on? Hey, guys. How are you? We're doing great, Mike. All right, Mike. I'm, I'm, I missed the first couple minutes of the show. Did you guys mention injuries or anything? No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you asked about that, Mike. We should give you some injury updates. Uh, Mike Remmers practiced today. That was good. Evan Ingram got the boot off. We'll see if he can play this week. Uh, he's still not putting full, based on what he said in his media veil, it doesn't sound like he's put full weight on it and run yet. 
He's kind of doing stuff in the pool and using some other devices to run without full weight on the foot. Uh, Nate Solder is still in concussion protocol. He's not here because of family reasons. He should be back later in the okay. week. Uh, Sterling Shepard practiced. He's still technically in concussion protocol. They'll see if they can get him ready to go this week. I think that's a realistic chance. And did you mention Janoris Jenkins? I did not. Janoris Jenkins was it, protocol. but he was at practice, but he is still in concussion protocol. You'll probably hear about those guys starting to get clear of that protocol on Wednesday or Thursday of this week, depending on how obviously they react to practice. And just to add one other note related to Evan Ingram, he mentioned it's a two to four week injury, and today would have been two weeks from the initial injury if you do that math. Seem to be optimistic that as the week progresses, he's going to put the foot through a little bit more testing and making strides. As far as his status for this week's game, I think it's up in the air. But I think all signs are trending in the right direction for him that he's going to be back on the field sooner rather than later. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm likely going uh, for the Redskins game at the end of the season. My friend works for the Redskins, and I'm likely going to get uh, pregame sideline passes. Nice. Um, it, it, it would be cool if we meet up somewhere or would you guys hang out before the before the game would be interested in meeting you guys if it's a possibility yeah Dettino will probably be down there on the field at some point I have to be up in the radio booth making sure the radio pregame show goes well uh, Lance has been Lance will be partying hard oh, at a yeah, bar in Hoboken <laughs> 80 River so if you well, folks, he's talking about the, the Redskins oh yeah, that's right they, the came, they came here already I'm sorry uh, I'm thinking of a uh, home game no, yes c- continue that's not a problem yeah, 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 it's but a road game Paul Dettino will probably be down there and if it's way early there's a chance but usually uh, especially that late in the year, I'll probably be upstairs making sure everything is, is going all right in the booth. So, Mike, I don't think I can make that happen, but Paulie Dots could be down there if um, if you want to hit him up on Twitter. Yeah, he's a man of the people, so that would be your best direction to go, Mike. The rest of us are very antisocial when it comes to road games. Or, just they're, warning you. Yeah. or they're just working extremely hard. That's true. Yeah, that's another way to spin it. Not yes. him, but me. Yeah. yeah. All right, thanks, guys. Nah, no okay. problem, Mike. Appreciate yep. the call. Uh, let's go to Jonathan, New York. He's up next. Hey, John. Yeah, it's first time in a long time. How are you? Hey, thanks for calling in, Johnny. What's up? I'm calling just to voice my support for the general manager, uh, Dave Gettleman. Uh, you know, I know when he selected Daniel Jones, a lot of people said that he would be judged by Jones's performance. And, you know, you go online now and you see people uh, already calling for, for Dave Gettleman to be fired. Uh, you know, I know they're 2-8, but I feel like uh, he does have a high hit rate in terms of uh, the draft picks, including you know, some of the later round picks. No, I agree. I, I think if you look at his job in the draft so far, there's been a lot more hits than misses, and especially guys in, in the middle of the late rounds, which, by the way, has not been a strength of this franchise for a very long time. He's gotten right. some guys that, that have contributed. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, the one thing I would say is maybe, you know, his strength, you know, if his strength is the draft, which I think it is, and finding talent in the draft, uh, you know, I'd like to see him have, uh, you know, as many picks as possible. So, you know, I don't know if it's going to be easy this offseason, but, you know, trading uh, trading veterans, you know, for, for draft picks, I think, you know, might be a good thing. Well, that's what they did last year to get a lot of picks for this past year's draft, the exact fo- philosophy that you laid out. I-, I think there's many different ways to construct a team. I also don't think it's bad to turn a draft pick 
into a young player who still has years left on his rookie contract or you are in position to sign for an extension because at least you're sort of investing in somewhat of a proven commodity, which to a certain degree relates to Leonard Williams. You see what the Cowboys did with Amari Cooper. You know, that seems to be a trend across the league where, hey, if a team doesn't want to re-up with the guy they drafted, they put them out on the trade market and they see whether or not they can get a pick and then the receiving team gets a, still a young player who's got plenty of experience under their belt and hopefully warrants a second contract. So and I think that's what him, they've been doing. And has proven himself on the NFL level, which when you're drafting yeah. a guy, you can scout all you want. In the end, there's still a lot of uncertainty there. Yeah, there's always that rolling the dice mentality mm-hmm. when you go mm-hmm. via the draft. And, and just one other thing, just to add to what you had mentioned, Jonathan, in terms of Daniel Jones, you know, regardless of how this season plays out, there's no way you could walk away with any closure on Daniel Jones because it's still a very small sample size. It would be similar to judging Ernie Accorsi on Eli Manning's production as a rookie in 2004 when he took over Kurt Warner. And if you look at how Eli Manning performed in those games, I don't think many people walked away and saying, well, he's absolutely going to go on to become that. So if anybody wants to rush to judgments about Daniel Jones and give a grade right now, I, I think they're just having the itchy finger. you got to wait to see what becomes of his career here down yeah, the road. Yeah, Jonathan, I'll just add to what Lance said, and, and then you can finish up your call. A lot of times, progress for young players are not on a straight line. And guys will sometimes start really high, drop down, then slowly get better. Some guys will start really poor, get really good, and then maybe not look so good. I mean, just look at Jared Goff. Jared Goff looked like he couldn't play football his rookie year. He gets a new coach. He looks fantastic. Two years later, the offense line gets poor. Now Jared Goff looks bad again. Now he doesn't look like as bad as he did as a rookie, but he's still not looking great. You know, Mitchell Trubitsky, people thought at points last year that he was turning the corner. He was going to be great. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like he's not even an NFL quarterback this year. So, you know, the progress of rookie quarterbacks, as Lance said, can be, you know, jagged, weird, you know, heart attack line graphs where the thing's <laughs> going all over the place. So, like he said, uh, you know, I think the early returns are certainly a lot more positive than negative despite the turnover issues. And I think you feel real good about him moving forward. But, you know, I agree. I think if you're long-term going good to judge, you know, Gettleman, he's linked to the quarterback, Absolutely. We still don't know what that quarterback is, even though the early returns are very positive. Right. Yeah, and I think what you guys said also about the the mid and late round picks is true. I mean, you look at fifth round alone, you know, getting a guy like Connolly and a guy like uh, Slayton. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. that's a great fifth round. You know, he, he, he deserves credit for that. So, um, you know, if he could have three or four fifth round picks, you know, next year, I know I personally would be a happy camper. Well, it's all about what you do with the draft picks, Jonathan, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. I I think what's encouraging to the last caller's point is you're getting early returns from some of these late-round picks. And normally, that's not a trend that we see happen across the board, even throughout the league, John. And Mm -hmm. the fact that Slayton and Connolly have received opportunities as rookies. Unfortunately, Connolly's out for the season because of an injury, but showed a lot of positive flashes before he was hurt. And Slayton, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen with the hamstring injury. When he finally got back on the field, showed some flashes. And, you know, now little by little, you're seeing a little bit more consistency out of him. You know, that's what you want out of young players. That's what you want out of your depth chart. How many times have we talked about When you look at some other teams around the league, they lose starters. Well, why do they find a way to still be in playoff contention? Why do they find a way to make lengthy postseason runs? The Eagles come to mind a few years ago when they had their Super Bowl run. And if you go back, they had injuries across the board. Well, Mm -hmm. 
the depth chart produced. And that's something that the Giants have struggled with because of rough draft classes, because of injuries that have hit them across the board and not having enough substance behind the starters. What's encouraging is a fifth-round pick emerging from being sort of an unknown commodity to now taking advantage of his reps, stepping into a starting role and producing immediately. That, you hope, is only going to improve moving forward, but... Similar to how we're talking about Daniel Jones, the sample size is still small, and you can't judge a guy based on a good stretch of six to seven games. It's more of, okay, let this be the groundwork for what's going to move forward in the upcoming season. Yeah, and I know he's only played in, in two games so far as a corner, but even the fact that Corey Ballantyne's been good enough to get on the field as a sixth-round pick out of Division Two Washburn yeah. is a good sign. I mean, I'm going to list some sixth-round picks, guys. DeAndre Wright, Adrian Tracy... Matt McCants, Bennett Jackson, Jeremy Davis, Adam Biznavati. I mean, the only two sixth-round picks that you can put in that actually contributed was Drell Adams, who had a cup of coffee in the NFL. He was all right. And the other guy I'll throw out there is um, going all the way back to 2011, Jaquan Williams, who was a starter for a couple years here. And then but, dealt with injuries. Yeah. So even what you're getting out of Ballantyne is a good sign that maybe he can develop into something moving forward. Now, you don't know. We'll see. But it is certainly a good sign. The one thing we haven't seen, we haven't seen great progress out of some of the undrafted free agents last couple of years. You know, some of those guys have flamed out a little bit. Other guys, you know, uh, Josiah Taleffa, he's still on the roster. Um, there are some guys that still have a chance to become something, but it's, we have, they have been quiet in terms of, you know, and some of that too is, is how you develop those guys. So, that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. Let's go to Len in Columbia, Maryland. He's up next. Hey, Len. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Sorry, Len. How was, good, your, how was, how was, how was your weekend without Giants football, Len? Did you still watch? You know, I missed it. I miss, I miss seeing the Giants. I, I mean, I've I got to admit it. <laughs> uh, and I did watch a lot of football. And uh, what I came away with, and this, this is it's a good question, John. This is not what I wanted to talk about, but... The one feeling I came away with was we're we're a long way away from competing with some of those teams. I mean, we we saw some. I mean, the speed, the playmaking, pretty terrific. We got to get there. I mean, I don't know what else to say. But I did miss Giants football this weekend. What's your main point you uh, want to make today, Len? Okay, <laughs> that's okay. Um, You're fine. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm sorry. I missed what you said, John. No, I said you're fine. Go ahead. Okay, okay. Um, what do we know about Trubisky? Is he out for Sunday? Well, not he was, yet. Yeah, he's not officially ruled out. He was just pulled from the game yesterday because of a hip right. injury. So I right. think, you know, if you connect the dots and, and you figure if he wasn't healthy enough to finish the game, that it could very well appear on the injury report, and Chase Daniel's yeah. probably going to get some first-team reps this and week. And, Len, the funny thing, is that necessarily a good thing, the way Trubisky's played this year? I'm not sure. Well, uh, actually, I, was, I, I, don't, I never want to talk about a person being injured as a good thing, and I, and I hope it's not too serious, and maybe I even hope that he plays on Sunday. Uh, where I was going with my question was is that um, I think we got a – if Chase Daniels plays quarterback, we got a really good – chance of winning that game I'm, I'm not you probably know this from previous years um chase daniels is a great american story i mean you know you're in two million dollars a year you don't get to do very much right he's just <laughs> he's just good enough he's just good enough to make two million dollars a year um it's good skill to have uh, yeah but, that, but that I, is a good again, skill. I, I hope good. trubisky's okay i don't want to see anybody get hurt especially that way you know hips that's that's bad 
And uh, but if it's Chase Daniels, I like our chances. I like our chances. Hey, you know, in the off season, we were throwing around all those numbers at the beginning. Those were some great numbers you guys were really tossing around there. Uh, and the one that kind of stuck with me was where you were talking about number of sacks that we had twenty four. Yeah, yeah. Um, remember, we were talking about how you get the forty. Uh, you know, with six games left. Uh, you know, who knows? We might get close to forty. Now, I don't know how it's uh, what it what it means in terms of wins, but we're, you know, we're going to start we're going to start getting close to the number. Now, the numbers are going to come from people who we didn't think it was going to come from. Um, but that, I mean, that's okay if we can get the forty sacks. That's that's probably a good number. But when you look at the defense, I wanted wanted to start with the defensive numbers. Um, it you can't you can't scheme your way out of those numbers. I mean, those are just bad numbers. That's correct. I mean, we gotta. I mean, we gotta get some players who can make those numbers better. Hey, look, Len. When I, you I think, when know, you th- I don't know how else to put it. When you I think mean, about it, though, I'm not a big Betcher fan. I'm, I'm sorry, John. No, that's Go okay. Though, all, all I was gonna say, just in terms of the talent, a lot of the moves Gentleman has made in terms of free agent dollars, in terms of drafting, has been focused in, in a lot of ways on the offensive side of the ball. So I think the next step now is to try to add with those resources more talent to the other side. Well, that would be. That would be a strategy. Um, <laughs> it's just right now it's looking, um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say. You just, you just try to hang on. Um, Lance, it's, it's taken me a couple of years, but I'm finally buying into your idea. Um, it's, you know, it's what you do with the 32 minutes when you have the ball. It's not that you have the ball for 32 yeah. minutes. It, it's finally beginning to sink into me, even though we're not getting anywhere near 32 minutes. But that's, that's a very good point. Um, one of the things I look at, Lance, and I'd like your, I'd like your comment on this. My, my general rule of thumb has always been you've you got to score um, more than half the time more than, on, on more than half of your possessions. So if you've got 10 possessions, you've got to score six times. If you got 11 possessions, you score six times. It just seems to me that you got to get past that. I know you get into field goals. That's the first thing you guys always tell me when I say that. But I, I like to see a score on possessions. It just seems like that's yeah, something that course. I always look at. Sure. And I don't know. If, I don't know if there's any kind of statistic that says if you score on more than half of your possessions, do you win the game, or what, what percentage do you win, and so forth. But that, that's kind of my rule of thumb. What do you what do you just what do you think about that? No, look, Len, Len, you're right. When you look at a a box score and and a game book after a game, the first one of the first pages I go to is the possession chart, which lists each one of the drives that the team has, and it breaks down number of plays, number of yards, and the result, whether it's a touchdown, field goal, punt, turnover, however the drive ends. And yeah, you have to look it. It, just in terms of all sports, whether it's baseball, you have 27 outs. Basketball, yeah. you have 48 minutes. You have X number of possessions in that 48 minutes. The totals yeah. aren't necessarily as important as, ha- like as you put it, having a good rate in terms of maximizing every time you have possession. There's nothing more valuable in a sport than possession of the ball. And you have to maximize, like to your point, Every time you have possession, which is why red zone percentage is so important, third down is so important, because yeah. those are the things that turn into either maintaining possession in terms of third downs or putting points on the board in terms of red zone ability. So that's why those individual numbers are so important every week. You're 100% right. Well, and it's that much more important in terms of maximizing possessions when also you don't have a very good defense. 
because yeah. that means oh, that yeah. every possession you have, Len, yep. you better be walking away with a touchdown. You better be walking with some positive points because you know that your defense is not going to make consistent stops. And let's take this point further. It, just in terms of average points per game, okay? The Giants right now are hovering around 20 a game, which puts them 22nd to the NFL. If you go through the top 10 teams in the NFL and scoring right now, it's no coincidence that the only team that is going to have a tough time making the playoffs right now is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That means that nine of the 10 teams in scoring points per game are all playoff contenders, either for their division or the wild card. And it's no surprise that the Giants, you have to scroll down to 22nd, and the teams around them are also having a hard time being relevant within the playoff mm-hmm. conversation. Huh? So, I mean, well, that's you, just as synonymous as turnover differential, scoring yeah, yeah, points yeah, you per start, game. You, you, you started uh, the, uh, the show, or uh, early early in the show, you started to talk about the effects of turnovers, and that then that gets into it. If you get a possession and you have a turnover, that's a <laughs> lost possession. You know, you're not yeah. scoring on that possession, but also the other team may be scoring, correct? Or, yeah. You know, off the off the turnover. So, hundred um, percent. Okay, Bears on Sunday. I th- um, you know, uh, six games to go. Uh, let's let's you know win some games, man. Let's win some games. <laughs> Great, All thank right, you, guys. Len. Hey, All thanks right, Len. for taking the yep. call. You hey. got it. Hope you enjoyed your bye week. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. And you're right. That, that I had never looked at the points per possession, Lance, but you're right on the money. Every one of the top ten teams is likely going to be a playoff team. You know, one team might be on, on the verge, in or out, depending on how the NFC plays out. The Seahawks, Vikings, and Packers, for example. All three of those seasons might not make it just because they're all kind of in that. Yeah, they're bunched together. Exactly. But everyone else, you know, I'll list the teams for you, folks. Ravens first, Niners second, Patriots third, Cowboys fourth, Chiefs fifth, Bucks are sixth, Seahawks seven, Vikings eight, Packers nine, Texans ten. Nine of the ten playoff contenders. There you go. I mean, it's it's not, and the Eagles are 14, and the Saints are 13, and the Rams are 12. Three other teams that or at least have a chance, maybe not the Rams so much anymore, but they at least are in the hunt. For a playoff spot. So you're looking at, of the top 14 teams, there are only probably two or three teams that are virtually eliminated from playoff contention right now. That's amazing. I had not looked at that yet. Yeah, well, I mean, you figure, listen, the teams that are putting points on the board consistently, you're you're giving yourself a chance to be competitive and win games. And if you have an anemic offense, and, you know, while you're on that chart, you look at where the Chicago Bears are. You know, the Bears are also near the bottom of the league this Ooh, year bad. in terms of points per game. They're worse than the Giants right now. Now, to Len's point about the Giants have a better chance of Chase Daniels, the starting quarterback, than Mitchell Trubisky, if you go based on performance this year, I don't agree with Len's assessment there. If you wanted to go in previous years, I would perhaps say I think that has a little bit more stock. If you go with the eye test and the statistical test, I think the Bears are actually better off with Chase Daniels as their quarterback. Does Mitchell Trubisky give them a little bit more mobility? And more athleticism, absolutely. You don't necessarily have to worry about that with Chase Daniel, but Daniel knows the scheme just as good as Trubisky does. So it's really not a downgrade in terms of knowledge and experience. Daniel also started against the Giants last year. Now, the rosters have changed from both sides. And here's the biggest concern going up against the Bears as we start to look ahead. It's not so much about who the Bears' starting quarterback is. And don't look at this as, well, this is a favorable matchup for the Giants because the Bears are not lighting up the scoreboard. First of all, how many times have we said that? We said that about the Jets, by the way, people. And how many points did the Jets put up? I digress, get back to the point at hand. 
the defense for the Chicago Bears, okay, they're still respectable and they're still pretty damn good. Better than respectable. Okay? They're, they're, they're a top five defense. So it's a more concern of what's the Giants offense going to do against the Bears defense than people getting all worked up about what the Giants defense is going to do against Chase Daniel and Mitchell Trubisky. Now, I'll say this. It gives the Giants defense an opportunity to have a nice bounce back game. But will they take advantage of it? Or are we going to sit here again on, on, on your postgame show of Jeff Fields after the game? And I'm going to be sitting in the locker room going, hey, you know, Jabril Peppers, thanks for being with us. You know, we said going into the week, the Bears that struggle moving the ball, how they have five plays of 30 yards or more. I mean, I, I don't want to have to ask those questions again, but that's kind of what's happened over the course of the year, right? So The get right game for yeah, the opposition. So ca can you figure out a way to make the Bears play to their statistical profile on offense. Can you do that? The opportunity's there. Like, you go and you play a team like the Cowboys, you could play well defensively. They could still put 30 up on the board. That's how good they are. But if you come out and you play a really good defensive game against the Bears, you should hold them under 20 points. And that should give you a good chance to win the game. But will you, will you do that? Yeah, and that's the million-dollar question. It's not automatic, Lance. And I think that's what people you know, think about sometimes. Like, you don't just show up, this team's bad at this, all automatic, you're going to win that part of the game. No, of course not. Especially when t with a team like the Giants, who are, again, in stage two of their trans roster transformation, rebuild, whatever you want to call it, they have to play well to win any game they're in. They cannot show up, play a poor game, and win. That's not what they're capable of doing, which is why the year has been so frustrating. Well, and another thing as to why the Giants haven't been able to capitalize off of the shortcomings of the opposition. It goes back to the numbers we talked about at the beginning of the show. The Giants have yet to have a clean game, John. So right. what is the luxury, what's the gift to a team struggling? You turn the ball over against mm -hmm. them, and you give them favorable field position. You spotted the Jets a touchdown when Jamal Adams ripped the ball out of Daniel Jones's hand after Saquon Barkley had a breakdown at pass protection, and... You took pressure away from Sam Darnold and company. They weren't responsible for all the points in that game. The defense gave them some nice cushion. It's the same thing. And by the way, you take that defensive touchdown off the board, what's the final score? Well, you have it's to a, minus. It's a tie game. Yeah. Because if you take that Adams 34 strip in touchdown off the board, it's 27 all. There you go. It makes all the difference. Arizona Cardinals is another game in terms of the turnovers. Chandler Jones giving them favorable field position. That was an offense that wasn't necessarily lighting it up. I mean, we could revisit every single game this season, especially the team struggling. And it's the common theme. Turnovers, giving them opportunities. They capitalize. And then all of a sudden, those numbers don't look as bad as they did leading into that game. All right, let's go to line three, McKenzie. Let's go to Jake up in Massachusetts. He's up next. What's up, Jake? Hey, how you guys doing What's up? today? Right, how are you? Uh, hey, listen, uh, I saw this thing today that said that uh, the Giants need to get rid of Pat Shermer and to put in a more disciplined coach. And the first coach that they said was to put Tom Coughlin back on the sideline. Can I ask uh, who they is, Jake? Yeah, which lovely website had this story? <laughs> I'm dying to know. <laughs> Let's hear. Yeah, it was Giants, Giants Wire, actually. Mm, I see. Okay. Yeah, and how do I feel about that? Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> but they definitely need someone more disciplined. I think. Now, now here, now my question is: Why do you use the word disciplined? Well, I think that McAdoo and now Shermer. I think they're more player friendly. Instead of being more um, like 
a disciplinary. Well, well, Jake, well, Jake. Figure. For example, let me, let me ask the question more specifically. What is it that the Giants are doing poor this year that you think has to do with discipline, rather than something else? Well, I think that their discipline on their defense is awful. In what way, though? In like, is is it because they're actually in the top ten in fewest penalties in the league, so they don't get penalized a lot. So you can throw that out right away. What do you think they're doing poorly that's directly related to discipline and how and why? The way the linebackers are not uh, taking care of the center of the field, um, and they're um, just uh, everything. everything. Well, but, but that, the, that's the, more of, I, I think what you're alluding to is more of just breakdowns, missed assignments. Execution. Yeah, execution. I don't know necessarily if I would say that's synonymous, Jake, with you know, the lack of discipline or, you know, to use a trite statement, the inmates running the asylum type of thing where the coach has no control and the players are just doing whatever the hell they want. And by the way, Jake, if you want to go back to Tom Coughlin's last few years and see how the Giants covered the middle of the field, I think you'd be disappointed. Yeah, and Tom Coughlin, who you just commended, and I would agree with you, was known as a guy that found good balance later on in his coaching career of appealing to players knowing how to lighten up at the same time, knowing when to step in and be disciplined. But you go back, as John mentioned, I mean, those defenses were not necessarily thriving at the end of Tom Coughlin's tenure. Yeah, absolutely correct. So, you know, once again, I, I think we look at teams when they're not performing and we all of a sudden point to, well, they need a coach because the coach is not getting the most out of the team and they're undisciplined. I just think... The players need to execute better, and I don't think it's a matter of the coaches not studying the film, breaking it down, and telling the guys where they need to be. It's just, unfortunately, reoccurring issues. Some of it is because of young players. Some of it is because of injuries. Some of it is guys being thrown into new jobs. It's a conglomeration of issues. I don't know necessarily if we're at the point where you know the team has tuned out the coach, and that's the reason why they're struggling And so by the much. way, the coaching staff knows, and Pat Shermer knows, and everyone knows, if, if this lack of execution, or if you want to use the term discipline, however you want to phrase it, is fine. If it continues for long enough with different players every year, then it eventually is reflective on the coach, and everyone understands that. But I think for, for two years, with the way this roster is turned over with, with the young people that are on the field, I'm not sure we're there yet. I have no idea what the front office feels. Look, look they might they might be at the short end of their stick. I have no idea what what what's going on. Okay. Nobody does. Um, and okay. I, and 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 we're and we're not going to sit here and 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 say a coach should be fired. That's that that's not what we do here. But I understand where you're coming from. The consistent issues on the defensive side of the ball should be a source of frustration for you, and we get where you're coming from on that. And appreciate the phone call, okay. Jake. Yeah. Appreciate it, Jake. Thanks so much Thank for, you for the call. Yeah, as you noted, they've been not in a bad position penalty-wise. I mean, there have been some games where you've had eight penalties, and they certainly have been costly. But overall, total on the season would not put the Giants in a position where, you know, what's going on here? No. You, you got the same issues coming to the forefront. And not to get completely off topic, but in the wake of what transpired with Cleveland and Pittsburgh on Thursday night, and I'm not trying to get into a whole dissertation here, but, you know, you could point to when you have penalties, when you have undisciplined play like that where players are taking it to the extreme if you want to have the conversation about is the coach translating to the players you know that may be a conversation the Giants are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum here we're not even talking about yeah, that. yeah throw in the fact in the game against Dallas Dallas had three or four on sportsman like penalties against the Giants and the Giants didn't draw any flags in that game so in that way in terms of players controlling their emotions and doing what they're supposed to do on the field I, I think they've actually been 
pretty good at that. Uh, let's go to Jason in Maine next, Mackenzie, on line four. What's up, Jason? How you guys doing today? Good, Jason. What's up? Oh, not too much. I just had a, a question for you guys, and uh, I know you're not general managers, but was just curious on something. Um, just if you're a GM and you really think, let's say you have a high draft pick in the first round, yeah. and uh, you really have you have huge belief in him, and uh, he comes out, he has a he has a very poor year. Um, how long do you stick with him? And maybe that's maybe that's according to what position it is, but. How do you handle that as a GM? If you're really sold on a guy, but he, he's real bad the first year, let's say he starts off the second year just as poor. I mean, how how long would you give him for uh, something like that? It's a good question. I think you evaluate the reasons for his struggles, and you try to figure out, is that something innate within him that he can't fix? Like, Let's say you really love this corner, and he gets you, and all of a sudden, now, I don't see how this could happen with all the testing you do, but if you bring in a corner, you're like, oh, man, he can't run. Like, that, we can't fix that. You know, if our coaches can do all they want, they can't make a guy faster. So, <laughs> you know, something like that, or you bring in a quarterback, and they just physically are not accurate enough, and, you know, you can maybe fix mechanics, but sometimes it just can't do it. Or if a quarterback can't, you know, keep his head on his shoulders when he's under pressure, and he's trying to read the field, and he just, you know, goes blank and he's all over the place. I think it depends, Lance, on what the struggles are and what you're seeing. I don't think it's fair to kind of make a blanket statement. Now, you can't stick with a guy forever. That's never going to work. But I think you kind of have to go on a case-by-case basis with that. Yeah, I also think you need to look at what changed with your coaching staff. You know, did a player struggle year one with one coaching staff? Did you change the coaching staff? Did that contribute to why the player struggled because of maybe where the player was positioned if he's a defensive player? I'm talking about something that's unrelated to their physical characteristics that may be holding them back. I mean, personally, I'm comfortable in saying that if I were a GM, I'd want to at least see two full seasons of the guy before I start jumping to conclusions. And for a quarterback, probably three. Yeah, once again, because I think one year alone does not tell enough. We went over some of the Giants rookies, and you know sometimes you have ups and downs, and then all of a sudden things click in year two. So at bare minimum, I want to see two full seasons. Then by the time year three comes around, by the midway point of the third season, if the changing in coaches didn't work, if the positioning of a player in a new scheme didn't work, you know, then I probably have to reassess my situation and wonder whether or not the player's a good fit. But you got to at least get two full seasons out of the guy before you make some bold declarations and make any bold transactions, I think. Okay, good. Yeah, great answers. Uh, I appreciate it. That's all I have. Thanks, Thank guys. you, Jason. You got it, Jason. Appreciate it. Appreciate the phone call. You know, by the way, it's... Uh, very refreshing to hear from somebody from the state of Maine who actually uh, puts together some coherent thoughts. I just thought I'd add that. But well, anyway. if you want to hear some incoherent <laughs> thoughts from me, let's go to him right now, and that's Charlie. Hey, oh, that Charlie. was a fastball right down the middle. Yeah. Thank you for swinging at that and <laughs> no hey, going hey, for the fences. Hey, i got to yes. give a shout-out to my cellmate, Landon Maryland. I just want to say hello. Well, why is he hey, a cellmate? Uh, Hold on. Why is he a cellmate? <laughs> uh, putting Len and you in the same category, I think, is an injustice to Len. Or in the same facility, <laughs> yeah. for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, look, I mean, Lance, two years is too late. You think Belichick's going to hang on to somebody for two years if he thinks he can't play? I don't think so. Well, how about you give me an example? But let's just make the generic statement and bring Bill Belichick into the school of thought. I'm sure you have a 
paper full of Patriots picks who he gave up on 30 days after he drafted oh, them, right? He doesn't hang on to anybody. He's let go of first-round picks. He has. They have part of ways. Picks, whatever, and he'll let them go the first year if he doesn't think they're going to fit what he's doing. So, I mean, you know, this is the Eric Flowers. Let's hang on to him for three or four years, and then we'll let him go. No, Charlie, right. we, Charlie, we but, said it's on a case-by-case basis. Obviously, there are exceptions to the rule. Yeah, there is. Hey, John, I, I, I want to ask you a question. How many turnovers did the offense have? Overall? Overall. I, be- I believe the offense. the offense. Well, 12. You talk about this season? No, no. He, yeah, talk, no, no, no he doesn't mean differential. He means total giveaways. Total giveaways. I think total giveaways are at. Hold on, Charlie. I can pull this up for you. Uh, this is my defense. That's my offense chart. Okay. Uh, overall this year, the Giants, if they're minus 12. Yeah, they have 24 turnovers. And they have 12 takeaways. That means they have 24, 24. giveaways. That's correct. And how many of those are attributed to Jones? Um, he has, I believe, eight interceptions Doesn't and have 16 total. Is nine it? fumbles okay, lost. Right, so I believe yeah. it's six. No, it's 16. Oh, it was 16. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was right. Or seven. No, it might be 17. 17. Right. Right. I'm sorry. 17. So 17 into 24. What's the percentage? About 80 yeah. percent. Is on Daniel Jones. Yeah, of course. But uh, by the way, Charlie. Yeah, yeah of course. But Charlie, well, yeah, that's. I ask you, John, if he does this next year and fumbles two or three times every game, how long are you going to stick with him? I'm not going to give up. If, if if he's very efficient and good throwing the pat, throwing the ball, and his interceptions are down, no, I'm not giving up on him after two years because he's fumbling. I'm not. Sorry. <laughs> he's giving the game away if he's fumbling all over the place. Who's your quarterback then? Fumbles well, are correctable, Charlie. Fumbles are correctable. How come they haven't been corrected yet? Then? Sometimes it takes a little bit more time than you wanted to, but they're correctable. Well, and as we mentioned, Charlie, if you've been yes. listening, but you know that I is have. putting it politely, that every turnover has its own story. And if you say that Daniel oh, Jones has seventeen, okay, so how many of the seventeen could he have avoided? Meaning, realistically, <clears throat> given the fact that he was in his throwing position on some of them, you've got to look at it through that lens. And this is not a defense mechanism to say that, once again, Daniel Jones doesn't have things to clean up. But it's not 17 turnovers on an island, and we just say it's 17 turnovers. There were at least seven or eight occurrences this season where I don't know what Daniel Jones could have done to avoid the turnover, is my point. Probably not playing, maybe. <laughs> yes, that, that's <laughs> a no, tremendous... No, Charlie, Charlie, look, Charlie, Charlie, real quick, real, real quick, in, in, in all seriousness, yeah, look, yeah. has Daniel Jones cost the Giants games with his turnovers this year? Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's arguing that point. He know, he's talked about it endlessly. He knows he's got to get it fixed. He's really unhappy about it. He knows that. The coaches know it. They're working on it. But it, it is what it is. Uh, and, and I get it. You call in. You make the point every time you call in. No one's arguing with your point. But if you want well, uh, to. But, but <laughs> if you want. No one's arguing no, that he has. Arguing. No one has problem. No one's arguing that he has issues with turnovers and his turnovers has cost the team games. Anybody who argues that is a fool because it's true. But. That doesn't mean that you take your sixth overall pick in the draft, who, by the way, has been a very proficient passer of the football as a rookie, and throw him away because of some fumbles. That's stupid. And I guarantee you Bill Belichick's not getting rid of Daniel Jones. <laughs> you don't know, Lance. Well, you're, you don't know. You're right. I it's mean, hypothetical, but Belichick your life savior, I don't think, is going to pull away from A running back or a wide receiver or even a quarterback who fumbled three times a game. I don't think he would. I really don't. No, but but okay. one my other point is mm-hmm. on Dave Gettleman. 
you know, we're going to have, what, $70 million in cap space around there. And his track record on free agents has not been really great. I don't look forward to him spending that money and bringing people in. Who says he's going to spend all the money, though? Who says he's under the gun that he's got to spend you all that money? You know Charlie wants to spend well, every dime, Lance. Don't go down that road. <laughs> well, but, but, <laughs> no, but, my, but if he wants to fix the defense, he's going to have to do something. Well, but you know, let, let me ask you this. In, okay, right? so, so he just cleaned up what Jerry Reese had done in 2016 when he invested all that money in Olivier Vernon Snacks and Janoris Jenkins. So do you think that after cleaning all of that up, which was another challenge he had when he took over in Carolina and he had a worse cap situation, do you really think then that the first thing that he's thinking is, let me take all the money I just freed up and now let me tie it all up into three or four players? I mean, do, do you think that that is... And once again, I'm not saying I've had conversations with him. I'm just... Looking at this from a logical standpoint, do you really think that that would be the first thought? I just cleaned well, it up, and now I'm going to take all the money. I'm going to spend it all over again? Well, put it this way. If he wants to start winning, which this organization needs to do, he's going to need to bring in at least a couple of and I don't disagree with free that. agents. I don't disagree with that, but it's one thing to bring in a cluster of free agents and do it wisely with how you take your resources and spread it across the board as opposed to taking the bulk of the money and tying it up in two or three players. There's a variety of different ways you can go about spending your money, Charlie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And the Bears game coming up, uh, I wouldn't uh, poo-poo Mr. Chase Daniels because he could have a really good game. Remember, we give you just all your stats, John. We've given up so many long plays to yep. people, and you know who's going to kill us is Coleman, the little six, five foot six guy. He's yeah, going to he, be. By the way, he goes he goes the by place. the name Tariq Cohen, but Coleman also is going to be very okay. dangerous. You're yeah. right, Coleman. I'm going to look out. I'm going to look out for I Coleman. Know. Coleman I, on I Sunday is going to be a terror. If I got it wrong, yeah. you would make yeah. it right. Well, no, no, so but, but Tariq Coleman. Tariq Coleman. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah, you got it, Charlie. We Tariq Coleman. Go, yep, I just picked him up in fantasy. Tariq Coleman. You watch <laughs> out, people. He's going to do so much damage on Sunday. I'm looking forward to seeing Tariq Coleman run wild against the Giants defense. At first, I thought he meant Gabriel, to be honest with you. <laughs> but Taylor Gabriel? Yeah, but, but, but he's also tiny. He that's is tiny, but I, no, he definitely meant Tariq No, he did. Absolutely. Coleman. Yeah, that, that's who he meant. All right, Scott in New Mexico will wrap us up. Then, by the way, folks, I have one more thing I want to give you a couple numbers before we say goodbye. Go ahead, Scott. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Doing well. All right, Scott. Uh, is it okay to disagree with Charlie? <laughs> is it okay? It's welcome. It's, okay. it's required, go actually. The, go back to the 2007 season when the Giants won their Super Bowl. Eli Manning threw 20 interceptions that year. Guess how many fumbles he had? That's a good question. How many? 13. Oh, so see, now I guarantee you, by the way, Charlie was one of the guys after that Vikings game in week 10 that wanted Eli Manning bench that year. I promise you he was one of those guys. In fact, Eli ranks sixth on the all-time list of fumbles lost. Uh, Warren Moon and Brett Favre, both Hall of Famers, are on the top of the list. Terrible players, all of them. They're terrible. (laughs) They all stink. I think we're making a big deal out of that. Uh, But (laughs) my main focus, I really enjoyed your... uh, 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 what we call it? Uh, Statistical your, breakdown your con- at the beginning. Your, your uh, thing on Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. If, uh, not to compare quarterbacks, but completion percentage-wise, Daniel Jones is right about in the middle. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady mm-hmm. by you know by accounts is sixty-three point one. Daniel's about sixty-three and. Just to give you some another analysis, Carson Wentz is at 61.2. So he's right in the middle, and he's doing his job. Uh I'm not questioning that, but I want to go back, and I'll finish this up so I don't take up too much time. 
I wanted to go back to the point that the early caller made, because uh, I happen to think that execution and uh, um, mental discipline is two different things. Mm-hmm. And Bob Papa sort of addressed that in one of his post-game shows. He said the Giants like uh, mental discipline or discipline. And what I mean by discipline is knowing your assignments. Okay. In other words, knowing where you're supposed to be. Or from the coach's point of view, if you have an injured player like a Saquon Barkley and you put him up against a, a blitzer, you know the chances are he may not be able to you know, do the job. And that's mental discipline issues. My question to you guys is this. I have no assurance the Giants are going to be any better next year than they are this year if they don't correct that. And I'm, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm taking the Bill Belichick mantra. You, you have your players have to do their job. So how do you correct the mental discipline so they know what their assignments are? Is that a coaching issue, a player issue? And how do you correct it if you're going to have a season next year? And that's Thank you, Scott. The way I want it. Appreciate Thanks. it. To me, Thanks, understanding Scott. your own personal assignment on a play is the job of a player. It's very simple. A play is called, you have your responsibility, go and do your responsibility. I guarantee you the coaches are telling them what to do. It's not like they're like, oh, cover four, uh, do whatever you want. <laughs> that's not what they're saying. So the players have to carry those instructions to the field. So when it comes, and if that's what you, if that's what you mean by mental discipline, if that's what the previous caller was trying to say, I'll buy that. That makes more sense than, than, than kind of what we were talking about previously. But that's up to the player, Lance. Like, it, there's an assignment on a play. Execute the assignment. That's just being locked in, being focused, doing the work during the week, and being on top of your you-know-what. Yeah, if the same mistakes keep showing up and the coach is using the film as a teachable lesson, I find it hard to believe that it's on the coach, that they're not going out and giving all their effort to make sure that the player is aware of the same things coming to the forefront. Now, sometimes because of the lack of depth, you're unfortunately put in a position where you have to maybe put out a player there who is not necessarily executing at a high level, but just because that is by far your best talented player. I mean, sometimes coaches are just put in those precarious predicaments. But yeah, I I don't think when a player breaks down, we always point the finger at, well, the coaching staff has no idea what it's doing. It's almost as if, you know, we can't hold the player responsible for having a missed assignment or, you know, being maybe taught the right way to do it and then just having a moment during a game where they go out on their own and they take the wrong angle or they take a route that shouldn't have played out that way and they should have went in a different direction based on what the scheme calls for it. Lance, it's no different that if, if you're in class and you're a college student and the teacher does a lecture about World War II and the teacher says um, the Russians entered the war because of this, this, and that, okay? Then you get to the test, you take the test, the question is, why did the Russians enter the war? You give the wrong answer. Is that the teacher's fault, or is that your fault as a student for not taking what the teacher correctly taught you and and carrying it to the test? It's no different. Every game is a test in a a lot of ways. You have to take what you learned, apply it in a time-intense atmosphere, and do a good job with it. And that's on the player. Uh, a couple quick things before you say goodbye, folks. Just want to give you one other couple of nuggets here. I know some people have kind of brought up in terms of the offense. Uh, they need to be under center more, less shotgun, you know, kind of all those sorts of things, and that might solve some of the problems. Well, Pro Football Focus allows you to kind of break down what the team does in personnel groups and stuff like that. Daniel Jones's numbers based in personnel group and alignment, shotgun or under center, are almost identical across the boards. I mean identical across the board. 
So there's nothing that shows if he's in one formation or another, he's significantly better. Nothing in his start shows he's better in any specific formation, personnel group, or alignment. It just doesn't. Um, surprisingly enough, he's about equally as good versus the blitz and not the blitz. He doesn't turn the ball over more versus the blitz or not the blitz. So blitzing hasn't really affected him much. It's kind of very similar to what he does when he's not blitz. So that's another deal. Um, Saquon Barkley has run the ball best when the Giants are in three wide receivers and the field is spread out a little bit more. He's a little bit better when he's under center than when he's in shotgun. It's about a yard per carry difference, but it's not super significant. But he's about two and a half yards per carry better in 11 personnel than in fullback personnel or in two tight end personnel. So he does better when the field is spread out, which is not surprising. Uh, The one thing is that they could use Daniel Jones in a little bit more play action, which could maybe lend itself to some more under center stuff if they do more play action. His numbers in play action are really very, very good. And the Giants are not in the top parts of the league in terms of percent of their plays that are play action. But otherwise, in terms of personnel groups and formation lens, there's really nothing that shows that those sorts of tweaks should have a significant impact on what the Giants' offense is the final six games. Which, once again, goes back to what we were talking about. It's more of the lack of execution than perhaps the lack of creativity or you know the coaching decision-making at this point. And by the way, sack rate isn't impacted by blitz or no blitz either, which I found interesting. His sacks per pass drop back are almost identical for when he's blitzed Whether. and not blitzed, which I thought was interesting. Because, you know, rookie quarterbacks, you blitz him, you're supposed to rattle him, right? Yeah. Has not been the case. Well, and and once again, you know, that to me is actually what I would interpret as a positive. I agree 100%. I don't look at that as a negative. For a young guy, and you're saying that the production is not thrown off heavily, whether there's a blitz or there's not a blitz, further shows, I think, that he's rather even keel. And he can continue to improve upon that. And even rankings-wise, like playing under pressure— in terms of they have like stats based on how the quarterback performs under pressure versus not under pressure, obviously the raw numbers when he's not under pressure are a lot better. But if you look at ranks, he's actually ranked higher among quarterbacks in his performance under pressure than he is ranked when he's not under pressure. So pressure hasn't even bothered him as much as other quarterbacks in the league. So, and that is something that it's hard to teach. If a guy is pressured and correct. he's bothered, you know, good luck trying to create an environment where he could flourish. So if you got a good feel for that, I think that's encouraging. For too. example, just to give you an example, yards per attempt, 26th when he's kept clean, 14th when he's under pressure, 23rd average depth of target when he's clean, 17th when under pressure. You know, little things like that, that... It shows a difference. Now, again, his performance when he's clean is a lot better, which is important. But in terms of where he ranks, there's he's actually a little bit better under pressure from a ranking perspective than he is when he's kept clean. Big Blue Kickoff Live was brought to you by Coors Light. Enter in the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text 90464 for more details. And I want to throw one more thing out there, by the way. I want to remind folks that if you subscribe to the Giants Audio Podcast, that on December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live will have its own dedicated podcast. You can begin subscribing now on all your favorite podcast platforms, but on December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live will no longer be available on the Giants Audio Podcast feed. So please go subscribe to Big Blue Kickoff Live's own individual podcast feed. You can still watch or listen on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Detino and Salzi tomorrow right here on Giants.com and Big Blue Kickoff Live at 1.30. We'll see you then. Have a good one.